You don't speak for me. I listen to what other people say and then I make my own mind up. Isn't that what you say about keeping an open mind? No, but not so open. Your brains fall out. Anyway, how can there be two sides? It's your neighbour against random strangers. Because people have different priorities. Yeah, selfish idiots. Yeah, well, that's what Hillary Clinton said about the voters and look what happened to her. How dare you use Hillary against me? You know she's my inspiration. Well, that stuck-up attitude did for her and it'll do for you and all, Sal, cos you know what? You're no Hillary Clinton. The talk of the street. 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 Hello and welcome to episode 160 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that is pretty impressed that Adam is so Scottish he's able to make a knock-knock joke punchline sound like an invitation for a fight. I'm Gavin. And I'm hoping somebody has seen these cocktail napkins monogrammed with the letter W in embroidery. I, I can... Somewhere in my basement. I can suggest where you start. <laughs> Someone whose name begins with W. I think maybe behind us. Seriously, I sold these things and I spent hours in the basement downstairs checking and rechecking like a crazy person the bins where I keep napkins. Now, did you check the same place over and over again? Yes. Excellent. Good song. You managed to do that. How are you this week? So bad about these napkins, but otherwise, and I have a headache right now, but otherwise, yeah, okay. Winding down, finishing all the... Emmy's stuff. I'm finally catching up with Handmaid's Tale, which I had watched. Cheery stuff. I'd watched season one when it came out. Mm -hmm. Season two, I think I got through like two or three episodes before I said, you know what? I just can't do this now. Because it was still during like the Trump era. that That was tough watching. It was tough watching. So I've now finished season two. It's it's not great. June is like the worst person ever. I don't know who that is. That's like the main character. Or Fred. Yes. Her real name's June. So, um, Alfred is her Gilead name. Mm-hmm. Well, give but Fred some credit. For raping her constantly? Yeah. I'll right. give him credit. It's just, she's just a really awful person who's constantly getting other people into trouble or into danger or dead. And you get to a point where it's just like, do I really care about this person? And so many of the other characters are far more interesting, and I'd much rather watch a show about them instead she's of she's a hero. Yeah, hero. Mm-hmm. But she's no, that's kind of interesting. That didn't work. Heroic character. Awful person. Mm. So, yeah, on to seasons three and four. I mean, I. Season four would have to be really awesome. And also, I'm sorry, Blackish and This Is Us, both of those shows, especially in their fourth season, will have to be really, really good for me to sway my choices for best drama and best comedy. But we'll see. How was your pretentious weekend last weekend? How was your pretentious weekend last weekend? I had a fabulous pretentious weekend last weekend. (laughs) We had the best pretentious weekend last weekend. I kind of carried it forward and I've continued to be pretentious this week. Really? Turned out in a pretentious week, yeah. Has it? Mm. Well, I'm reading Kitchen Confidential. That's not really pretentious, pretentious. is it? It's a memoir written by a chef. 
Yes, yes. but that chef is Anthony Bourdain, and it's a memoir. Who's not very pretentious at all. Alive or dead. You want to read the book? It's pretty pretentious. Uh, yeah, we um, we we went and looked at a lot of art, which we shared quite a bit of it on the Twitter mm-hmm. while we were while we were out, and some of our fans learned that we live in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of our Twitter followers don't listen. Let me rephrase that: most of our Twitter followers don't listen to the podcast. Right. So they don't know that we live in America. So no. they were really confused about where we were looking at art. Right. Especially when I said Cleveland. Yeah. Like, in America? <laughs> yes, in America. It's where we live. With these trousers? <laughs> yep. Yes, you were wearing your pretentious DKNY uh, shirt, shirt mm-hmm. with camouflage shorts. Nothing was going. <laughs> I had... It's the most pretentious thing of all. A DKNY uh, a DKNY shirt that has DKNY written on it yeah. like a million times, which is bad. And the year enough. 1989. Right. These camouflage shorts. Yes, because Flip flops. <laughs> and I had a, I didn't really wear it that much, but I had a kind of bucket hat. Bucket hat. Yeah, you weren't wearing that in the art museum, though. Nothing that I was wearing matched. I was eclectic, which you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Made me pretentious. Yes. And then we had a pretentious tapas style dinner and mm-hmm. you ate a big massive fish. <laughs> then with the head on. Yes. People seem to have a problem eating fish with the head on. I know. It's like the best bits are in the head. <laughs> eat it those sweet, a, sweet cheeks. It was a, essentially it was a sea bass, but the restaurant gave it a fancy name that began with a said, I can't remember, was it a Zabroni? No, because that's a. <laughs> it starts with a B, not a Z. A B, not a Z. It's a bronze, the, the, bra- the thing Bronzolini or the something. Bronzini. Bronzini, yes. Yeah, so Bronzini cleans the ice at a mm-hmm. hockey game. But it was just like sea bass, but it was delicious. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a wild mushroom rangoon <laughs> and a chilled golden yellow borscht. And then we topped it off with, um, oh, and I had a limeade with it. And... We topped it off with some banana popovers and lattes. Mm-hmm. And then we went to see a, a pretentious movie. Yep. An indie movie. Nine days. Nine days. Nine days. Nine days. That was really good. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> Starring three people who have been in Marvel movies. So, you know. Just shows you what they can do when they're given proper material. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, people are always knocking them, but. You make a couple of Marvel movies, you're pretty much set for a number of years so you can be more creative in your other endeavors because you have the money already to pay the bills. Right. Hold yourself out doing things that you hate and then with that money you can do things that you love. I don't think Winston Duke hated being in a Black Panther movie. I think he quite enjoyed Black Panther. It was an Oscar-nominated film. And actually, Benedict Wong campaigned to be Wong, which is just hilarious. I love Cleveland. Cleveland's just such a great place. And we also spent $50 on cheese. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, sorry, and, not and, sorry. And, and, you know. God, the car going home was stinking. I listened to the, the cheesemonger talk about the different cheeses and stuff. They were quite proud of their cheese. They yeah. make their own cheese. Took them 10 minutes to go through their list. I know. I ended up buying the first thing that they described. And it, yeah, it, it's like. All right, yeah, we have, we already know what we want. Blah 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 blah. It's fine. It was fine. They were quite proud. We did see, 
one thing we didn't buy is a a block of cheddar cheese shaped like the state of Ohio. <laughs> Did you a take by that for some reason? Really it was see. just funny. And then, and then Sunday, before we came home, we did the most unpretentious thing one can ever do. We went to the Christmas Story house. Yep. Which no one in the UK will know what that is. Some people, I think, have seen a Christmas story. Well, I checked. <laughs> the answer was no. You checked from your friends. I remember when Decent you moved here, like, everyone was shocked that you'd never seen this movie. To the point where your your boss bought you the DVD for Christmas. Yep, still haven't watched it. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? I I, th- I think it's time. I think it's. Give us some of that Christmas cheesy <laughs> Corey news. Looks like Sam Aston is set to hit the bricks at Rinch Castle after dropping a hint that he may be in the cast of the next I'm a Celebrity. Really? Chesney. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help myself. What? I'm talking about it. Oh, oh, no. I, the fact that I said hit the bricks. Oh, that <laughs> completely went over my head. Sorry. Unlike Chesney, when it went right into his head. Yes, Chesney. Apparently, he's always been, you know, curious and, and into possibly doing these shows, but didn't want to go all the way to Australia and eat pig testicles. Do you know, so now that it's in Wales, I, he's kind of hinted that, you know, that it's something that he's he's planning on doing. I can I can see that. I, the, the flight really puts you off, having done it mm-hmm. when I was like 19 or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's an awful long time on a plane. It is. And the thought of doing it again kind of puts you off a little bit. So I can mm-hmm. totally see that. That, yeah, you want to do that, but you don't fancy sitting on a plane for an entire day. Right. Yeah. yeah. Adam Hussein, a.k.a. our Blessed Addy, of the Blessed Alhans. All hail Addy. All hail Addy. Posted on Twitter that his sister had been racially abused on the train by a Neanderthal who shouted abuse at her and calling her a terrorist. He's now demanding that the police get involved. Too right. Quite right. Yeah. Which just all rings back to the fact that a a few weeks ago we were like, you know, all brown people get abuse. Not just the Baileys. He absolutely should do this. And she should complain. Yeah. He should complain. It's absolutely right at um, throwing some light onto this. Yeah. What got me was the complaints that were hurled his way for complaining. Which is ridiculous. It really is. Yeah. It's I, that's this is kind of the point. This is why light has to be shown on this. Absolutely. And and good for him Absolutely. for publicising it. And um it, it's horrible that anyone has to go through anything like that just because of the colour of their skin. It's ridiculous. It really but, is. What you often see now on social media is uh, people will take screenshots of these tweets mm-hmm. and they'll blur out the name of whoever it is that, that uh-huh. said it. And I can see why they're doing that, because they don't want to have a pile on and mm-hmm. <clears throat> potentially ruin somebody's life, I guess. Yes. But you've got the question, like, what are we gaining from giving these people anonymity? Right, yeah. And yeah. So anyway, not, not saying that, yeah. that Adam did that. This is a kind of... Yeah, no, he rightly, you know, posted the guy's picture 
hoping somebody I'm mad at the train conductor who just sat there and, and did nothing apparently yeah well then the police no but still report it mm-hmm. call security something you know this shouldn't be done no I agree finally muzzle off to our favorite human trafficker as Verity Henry <laughs> aka Alina's worst nightmare Rachel has announced that she is pregnant with her second child Oh, lovely stuff. Congrats. Poor timing. Yeah. Is that child going to be safe? <laughs> yes, this is fiction. Fiction. Real life over here. Real life over fiction here. Fiction over here. Yes. Got it. Yes. And that's Perfect. Corey News. That is Corey News. Woot woot. Which brings us to World Podcast for Coffee. It's been a busy couple of weeks from our listening several in terms of buying us coffee, which mm-hmm. we obviously have appreciated. None this week, but we're going to change change around a little bit based on some things that have been happening in the world and wanting to do a little bit something, towards it. Something. I'm not going to change the world or anything like it here. No, but, but we can help. But we can, we can buy our own we can do fucking our coffees for the next few weeks. I was going to say until the end of September. That sounds good. So until the end of September, if you want to buy us a coffee, you can still go to kofi.com, ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. But what we're going to do is we're going to take that money and we've got a balance at the moment, I think, of around about 40 bucks off um, coffee money waiting to be spent. We're going to take that, the value of any coffees bought for us up until the end of September, and we're going to donate that to rescue.org, International Rescue. Mm-hmm who are uh, delivering humanitarian aid to the 18 million Afghans who currently need it, which is roughly 50% of the country's population. So, like yeah. I said, not changing the world, but doing a little something doing our part. to try and make things a little better for some people. So Yes. And now... This. This. <laughs> You're not taking that away from me. <laughs> Welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about patchouli and vanilla bath bomb. Uh, is this Maria? That's right. This was Peter desperate to get his taxi back, but Tyrone, who was fixing it, was having a bath. Oh, that's right. And that was what he was having in it. The fancy bath bombs. That was a. That was that. Was, we should have known then what we know now. It was in plain sight all this time. It really was. I was Gavin, and you were not ready for the school year. No, still not. Although they're actually going this year, so I guess that's a step in the right direction. The school's ready, that's the main thing. Well. <laughs> We'd spent a weekend in Indianapolis seeing Dead Presidents and Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, which ended up being a kind of X-Files for kids, that show. It's a Packer Bell's Canon and D kind of week on Corey. Despite Adam's concerns, Marie and Gary managed to get to their bistro wedding where David is very keen to see their rings. Faye has, like that. Faye has Tim's ear with regards to Tim's dad's behaviour towards Sally, and so Tim and Sally decide to hightail it to Gina's for some peace. And quiet. 
Gemma meets up with Vanessa, sets up an online mamas and babies group and plans a birthday party for Paul, all the while managing to convince the entire world that she's depressed. Abby has the best excuse ever for missing the farewell to the twins when a polystyrene engine falls on her clavicle. Oh, yes. That was kind of funny. It was. It, it kind of bounced when it hit her. It did. <laughs> Todd might be back. Sean needs a pee. Mary falls asleep against an exterior banister. And Daniel is once again creepy. Our moment of the week was Abby getting to, uh, was Abby getting a see you later card from the twins, and our boring moment of the week was Billy's board game, and that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street this time last year. It's quite remarkable that in a week of where two characters got married, uh-huh. I can remember pretty much nothing about that week except for the, <coughs> the, engine, the engine bouncing fought. off of Abby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think patchouli and. Whatever. Bath bum. Not the best title in the world. But. Not the best episode, I don't think, ever. Eh. Let's see how we did this year. Were we any better? Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this week is also our last storyline. So let's jump to our second storyline, which is Buying Back the Bistro. (laughs) On Monday, at the Bistro, Debbie is on the phone to the bank when Nick and Leanne come in. Debbie lowballs again and Nick and Leanne are ready to walk away. Oh well, says Debbie, who is still pretending not to be desperate to sell. Yes. Yeah, there was a strange little kind of half conversation that we got from her in the bank where yeah. she seemed to be, was it begging for money? There was like an issue with something not getting paid or something is what it sounded like to me. Ronnie's Which is weird considering that she also has like a million hotels. Right. And, you know, other... Business venue ventures out there in the ether somewhere. Right. That this isn't her only thing. Grabbed me as well. Is this the entire empire that she essentially she, stole from Ray Weinstein? Did she sell off everything else? Is she, She's still renting a few places. You know, isn't she? She still technically owns the, the flat over the salon, doesn't she? Does, she does, yep. She hasn't sold she owns, that yet. Which I think means that she owns the salon as well. Yeah. Not the business, but the building. Right. Salon's not running right now, though, is it? Doesn't seem to be. No. We're never in it. No. We're never really in the barbers either. Which is weird. They spend too much fucking time in the hospital and the police station. <laughs> yeah. This is Nobody true. Nobody needs a haircut anymore. You used to always be going to the salon. I know. And the barbers. Anyway. We Rob- talk about the barbers, though. Nobody talks about working in the salon. No. So David is at least the only place to get your hair cut now is the barbers. Hmm. Everybody's going to David to get their hair cut. And he's the only barber in the barbers. Or wait, no, Maria works there too. And Paul works there sweeping up. Yeah, he's not cutting hair though. No chance. No chance. <laughs> Rodney is telling a story to Jen about accidentally pocket dialing an ex that he was trying to dump at the time. And this seems to give Debbie an idea. She'd like to pick his brains over some business opportunities. So she asked Ronnie to help her prepare for a meeting by role-playing a party interested in buying the bistro. Jenny watches on as Debbie secretly calls Leanne under the table just as Ronnie launches into his pitch. I was quite surprised at how quickly he was able to uh, adopt this persona of someone trying to buy into the bistro. I was not surprised at all. It's classic Ronnie. Yeah, but anytime somebody mentions role-play in this kind of <laughs> environment. Right. Oh. <laughs> you think sexy. Well, sexy role play. <laughs> As a real estate agent. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> or a, a sexy pirate. <laughs> so Leanne, who's in the flat, listens to Ronnie and make an amazing pitch. Debbie hangs up and wonders if Ronnie would actually be interested in coming on board. He isn't, he says, there's risk. And then there's taking a bath with a toaster, he says. Yes. <laughs> Jenny seems jealous of the attention that Debbie has given out. Leanne relates this to Nick, but reckons there was something fishy about the whole thing. Maybe it wasn't an accidental butt dial. After all, mm. Nick thinks this makes Debbie seem really desperate and they should play on it. So, yes. they, so they head back to the bistro and pretend to go along with the pocket dial, but tell her they've already seen another place in the northern quarter, a little cafe that's mm. more their thing and far cheaper. Let Ronnie have the bistro. Debbie, now suddenly very desperate, will knock five grand off if they sign today. In fact, right now. Now, is that five grand off the original price or five grand off of the price that she said, give me five grand more and you've got a deal? Has she just knocked it back down to their original quote? So she's not really losing too much? Are you asking this with any expectation of me knowing the answer? (laughs) Maybe. Hmm. So Nick and Leanne... They seemingly accept. Mm -hmm. They've just bought into the bistro, so they go to celebrate. And where do they go to celebrate? The Rovers. Why do they do that? Well, they don't, they're not really celebrating in the Rovers. They just went to the Rovers to buy a bottle. They're going to be celebrating, celebrating at home. Whose till is the money going into? Jenny's. And I find it implausible. At least it's not going into Dev's. In fact, I would say impossible. That the bistro doesn't have a bottle of champagne. Yeah, they don't want to take from their own stock, though. No, well, you, you'd rather give money to another business? Yes. As the first thing that you do, being <laughs> part of this business, is give money somewhere else. Well, you know, it ruins half the fun of going in and saying, guess what we just did? Well, you can still do that. Just get a little tomato juice and a packet of crisps or something, rather than throwing 30 quid at them. I just think it's ridiculous. Fine. And if we ever bought into a bistro, we wouldn't be going to AB's for our our champagne, I'll tell you that much. If we were going to buy into a bistro, it'd probably be... Oh no, it wouldn't be AB's, it would be be Craft Co. Mm -hmm. We're pretentious. (laughs) We are pretentious. Uh, Ronnie... I'd rather own half of AB's. I'd rather work with Natalie. Yeah. Ronnie and Jenny are there, and it comes out that he was a set-up, and then it comes out that... The Northern Quarter thing was a setup as well. Uh-huh. What an awesome way to cement this new business relationship with lies and cons abounding. Yes. After the celebrations, Debbie offers to get her hold with Ronnie, which she politely declines thanks to Jenny <laughs> warning me off previously. If you change my mind, you can shag me later, she says. On Wednesday, Leanne and Nick are ready for their first day back at the bistro. He's worried about how things are going to play with Debbie, particularly with Leanne. Leanne points out that this isn't Dynasty and points out that Nick has been a sexist prick. Dynasty. <clears throat> Dynasty. What? Dynasty. 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 Well, that's how you say it. Yeah, that's and it's an American show, so you should say it the American way. It's just like, you guys pronounce palm olive really weird too. Or pant- no, it was Pantene. Still blows my mind the way you say Pantene. Pantene over there. And of course there's Jaguar. That's strange things that seem to bother you. Say Jaguar. Jaguar. <laughs> say source there's no, code. There's no fucking W in it. Say, say source code. 
Say buoyancy. Buoyancy. Now say boy. Boy. Fucking buoy. You can take that and shove it up your ass, I'll tell you that. Buoy. Fucking buoyancy? Is it buoyancy? Buoy. Is something buoying? Buoy. Fucking bollocks. And There's you know a U it. in there. B-O-U-Y. Buoy. But that you choose not to pronounce in buoyancy. That's different because it has oh, the no, 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 no. <laughs> <clears throat> So, Adabiso, Leanne and Debbie are going through the menu and getting on well until they get to the catch of the day. Uh-oh. Leanne worries about the margins on cod being too meagre because suddenly Leanne is an expert on the prices of fish. Yeah, right now. Tough shit, says Debbie. I've got a fucking ton of the stuff to shift. she got a good deal. Right, and Danny supposedly is magic when it comes to cod. But not like that. What could that possibly mean? <laughs> Adam and Sarah have had their meal at the bistro and tell Leanne it was, yeah, just okay. The fish wasn't up to much, observes food critic Adam. Embarrassed, Leanne heads into the kitchen where right, she finds well, the cod is actually Pollock. It's not that it wasn't up to much. They were just surprised because it, didn't, it wasn't the right colour for cod. Cod, which is a white fish. Right. Isn't Pollock a white fish as Pollock well? Pollock is also a white fish. But apparently, Sarah can point out the the fine nuances between a a white Pollock and a white cod. Mm-hmm. I think it was just an excuse for them to say Pollocks over and over and over right. again on the show. Mm-hmm. Lynn and Debbie are furious about Fish Guy's scam. Nick walks in and thinks that they're biting each other's heads off. Sexist fucking prick, says Leanne. It's fish guy they're angry about. He promised cod and he delivered pollocks. It was like right out of Three's Company and it was hilarious. I kind of wish that Tim's mum was still around. Mm -hmm. In the office, Debbie and Leanne team up to tear fish guy a new arsehole. He is the most downtrodden, depressed looking (laughs) character you've ever seen. And he's dressed in full fish guy attire. Right, yeah. He didn't have any cod earlier, but he's got some falling out of his arse now. And so he promises to deliver it tomorrow. And it'll be free, says Leanne. Yes, yes. love, he says. Yes, Miss Battersby, yes. says Leanne. And don't you fucking forget it. And then Debbie says something like, well, stop hanging about like a fourpence in the pound cheddar or something. Right. So off he goes. Nick comes in and is amazed that two women could be capable and that's as far as we get with that Go story yourself, this week. Nick. Nick suddenly, well, suddenly, yeah, I think suddenly, well, being pretty sexist here. Well, you know, he goes from Carla versus Sarah to Leanne versus Debbie. So he's used to the whole Sarah and Carla biting off one another's heads. He never but, questioned once, though, their abilities to do their job. Right. And he was kind of calling that in the question here, thinking that because there's so much barbs between the two of them, that they mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to successfully handle a, a fish transaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, it was written to be funny. It was funny. And it was I've, funny in a 1980s sort of way. <laughs> but Say it properly. 1980s? 1980s. <laughs> Yeah, I really loved the fish guy. I really wanted more from the fish guy. Well, maybe we'll get more fish guy. I don't know if we're going to get more from the fish guy. Or maybe he'll just go the way of of Helena, the the other undertaker, <laughs> and her feet. Right, her uh, betighted feet. Yes. 
So how's Debbie and Leanne going to get on, do you think? Or is it going to be Nick that's going to be the sand under everyone's foreskin? I think Nick is going to be the sand under everyone's foreskin. But yeah, it it I I like I I like this pairing of Leanne and Debbie. I mm-hmm. think this is I think this is going to work out well because it could have very easily gone the way of well, you were the idiot who listened to him in the first place and it's all your fault instead of both of them blaming the fish guy. Mm-hmm. It could have been Debbie blaming Leanne for trusting the fish guy. Right. But, you know. And it's interesting and I like this kind of peek at what the show thinks restaurants are going through at the moment as far as trying to function in a pandemic world. Right. So, yeah. No, I like this. I like this. More of this, please. Debbie and Leanne are, are quite similar characters. Mm-hmm. And that they're, they're headstrong and they're reluctant to back down. Right. So when there is a... Um, a conflict which we kind of got a little bit mm-hmm. off over the whole COD thing. Nick's presence was there as a kind of reminder that yeah. he doesn't think that they can get on. So it, right. it forced Leanne to kind of back down a little bit. But that aside, if they have the, the, the kind of common goal mm-hmm. of making the bistro successful, yes. then I think the two of them together are a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, And Nick... Like I kind of suspected last week, becomes a bit superfluous to to yes. that requirement. Absolutely, absolutely. Although I think them being in the bistro is better than Leanne being plain secretary, or or Nick being in the factory. Right. I think this is better. Yeah, especially. I'm and not- also, it means hopefully we get to see more of Debbie. Yeah, which is obviously... Because obviously this is the Leanne and Nick show. Those two are never getting in vacation ever again. It is, it's Coronation Street with Leanne and Nick. Right, yeah. When he was at the, the factory, he had a whiteboard mm-hmm. that had like 2021, 20, 22 sales targets written at the top of it. Right. And then nothing else. Yes. For months. Months. So I'm never sure what he actually did at the factory, what he brought to the factory, other than money. Yes. Carla was the brains behind the operation. Absolutely. As she should be. Okay, let's move on to our next storyline then, which is Daisy Chain. On Monday, on the street, Daniel and Adam are loudly talking about Daniel's £400,000 bastard in house, and Daisy, who were to believe is washing windows of the Rovers, overhears. Daniel quickly wants to change the subject. And then Roy's rolls, Daisy tries her charm on Adam, fishing for information about Daniel. Is he so clever? What was it she said? Why, it was something along the lines of why is Daniel so clever? It was just a fucking stupid remark. Yes. He tells her to go fuck herself. He can see right through her, calling her a game player who has a boyfriend. Too right. You're spoken for. Ryan owns you. Well, not not when you put it that way. But he, he she's obviously bad news. Right. And Adam can see that. Although, it's weird because later on... I don't know. It just it seemed weird. Daniel comes into the Rovers and Daisy flirts, quoting Byron at him. Daniel's impressed, Jenny less so. <laughs> All the poetry Daisy knows are filthy limericks written on bathroom walls. Yes. Then Ryan comes through and asks why Daisy's been and looking tenement at halls. Byron on her iPad. <laughs> and he says this very loudly. Mm-hmm. 
It was hilarious. It was. It was great. <laughs> Daisy's little eye rolls as she's kind of getting caught out left and right here. Yes. Yeah. I'm enjoying this immensely. Yes. Ryan has a surprise for Daisy. And she's never going to guess what it is. Jenny lets slip that it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Which is like exactly what you want to do during a pandemic. <laughs> Who even has a buffet on right now? Where are these buffets? Nobody has a buffet on it right now. Kill me now, says Daisy, who doesn't who isn't keen on the no. all-you-can-eat buffet. Nor should she, because we're in a pandemic still. Adam and Daniel are chatting in their booth at the Rovers, and Daniel knows Daisy is hitting on him, but reckons it's all pity because he's a, he's a young teacher, single parent, whose uh, wife is dead. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the 400 grand house. Yeah, it's strange that it didn't mention that. Right, seriously, especially since he was so snippy at Adam earlier about, you know... Speaking about it loudly mm-hmm. in the in the in the streets, walking by Daisy. Daniel goes off for a shite, leaving Adam to warn Daisy off again, saying that Daniel has been hurt enough. And plus, you're never going to fit into that sex cardigan. <laughs> On Wednesday, she's too skinny for it. Adam and Sarah have it's the day off. Enough. But any plans that have been. Are you distracted because I said the word bosomy? Of course. Wasn't a word that I expected you to say. <laughs> so Adam and Sarah have the day off, but any plans they have are scuppered when Daniel flounces along with Bertie, complaining that he has to go into school and Beth has to work, so oh, he can't look after his own kid. Adam agrees on uh, on his and Sarah's behalf to look after Bertie for him. Daniel runs away from Daisy, who tries to insist that she always wanted to be a teacher now. Mm-hmm. And later, Daniel comes into Rovers with teaching books for Daisy, that leaves with an incredulous Ryan. Right. He feels bad for how dismissive he was to her earlier. Yes. And Ryan's like, Daisy? Daisy wanted to be a teacher. Our Daisy? That Daisy? This one? To teach people. Children. Children. Daisy? Children? Christmas tree? Pop-tarts? <clears throat> Indeed. <laughs> In the bistro, Adam and Sarah are entertaining Bertie with knock-knock jokes. Sarah's getting quite clucky after seeing how he has... Seeing how... Adam is with Bertie. And I was just so thankful that Adam said, but you see me with Harry every day. Right. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I know. But just seeing you and just because we don't have anything to do today. Right. It's just bringing it all home. Bertie is growing up quite a bit. With that he really is. Bow haircut. He looks, it, it suspiciously looks like they're using the same kid that they used for Alad a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> just stick a wig on him. <laughs> so Bertie's got this little toy that's his favourite toy and the battery apparently has run out of it so oh yeah the teddy for, bear <clears throat> the teddy bear has the battery he also has a red car which take that red car away from that child <laughs> nothing good happens to children on the street who own red cars right well just that one time but that one time was pretty bad <laughs> so they replace the battery in Bertie's favourite toy thanks to is it Leanne that has the she stole it out of the remote control. What is going on with your hair? Didn't cut again. Yeah, I'm waiting for Stelly to get home so we can <laughs> right. go together. Yeah, did she steal it out of the remote control over at uh, <laughs> Tim and Sally's house? Abby's remote control. Abby's special remote. The remote control that Tim no longer wants to pick up for some reason. <laughs> So, Ryan drops the books off with Daisy and his nose is out of joint because she never mentioned wanting to teach to him and Daisy makes out yeah, that Ryan has been... Yeah, she wanted to be an entrepreneur. 
And she has to think on her feet. She goes, yes, yes. But you are being a sexist asshole who's yes. jealous whenever she talks to another man. Right. And I was like, what just happened here? And and also, what, a woman can't want to do two things in her life? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you, you sexist pig? Daniel picks up Bertie from the bistro and Sarah discovers that the old battery has gone missing. Worried that he swallowed it, Daniel rushes outside and basically tells Daisy, who claims to know first aid, to go fuck herself and get out of the way. Yeah. We forgot to talk about the knock-knock joke. <laughs> I did not... I've never heard that joke before. I thought it was hilarious. No, you're a poo! <laughs> That's my Adam impression. It's <clears> very <throat> accurate. Actually, yeah, funny I, think, that. I think his Scottish accent's a little heavier than yours. Yeah, his is more uh, West Coast than mine. Right. <laughs> yes. And also, you've lived in America for 10 years, so mm-hmm. yours is softening just a wee bit. Daniel's back and chatting to Jenny about his run to the hospital. No battery was... <laughs> oh, what happened there? <laughs> I don't know, but I don't like it. No battery was found. Is that better? Yes. Jenny knows that anxiety well and explains about Tom and how Daisy was a great big sister to him and Daniel now feels like shite putting two and two together. Right. So Daniel goes to the Rover's beer garden to apologise to Daisy for snapping. He knows about Tom and Daisy pretends that it all brought back some stuff for her and this is why she why took the first Why do you think she's course. pretending? She may genuinely have loved her little half-brother. I don't trust anything that comes out of her mouth. And I think of. Well, I think sometimes she's... T- I think she's telling the truth here. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a second. Mm. They seem to connect over deceased loved ones. Yes. Back inside, Daisy basically tells Ryan that it's over. Their relationship is built on lies and mistrust, and Ryan is clearly not over Alia, and Ryan's like... I just came in to pick up some milk, and all of a sudden... I think he's kind of relieved, though, don't you think? Yeah. Because he just kind of fell into that out of... <laughs> just. Well, she made him. Right. She 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 constructed this relationship and put him in it. Right. And didn't really ask him and just assumed no. that he wanted to be in it. And he was like, well... Fine. Alia dumped me, so... Better be shagging something. <laughs> right. So, Got Daniel... to be shagging something. <laughs> A memoir by <laughs> Gavin Alexander Broom. I'm not speaking on behalf Got of me. to be shagging something. <laughs> Daniel, father of the year, is back in the Rovers chat with Daisy, who claims she was dumped by Ryan. She feels worthless, she says, and he plays along. He used he thinks that she uses humour as a defence mechanism. On Friday, Alia walks down one side of the street and overhears Daisy pretending that she reads books to impress Daniel, and then crosses the street to see Ryan dressed up as a skater. What is he doing? <laughs> who reveals that he and Daisy have split up. Alia shouts on Daniel, warning him that Daisy is poison. 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 By Alice Cooper. No. Or. Belle Biv DeVoe. Oh. Oh, see, that's not the poison I'm thinking of. I'm clearly thinking of the Alice Cooper poison. You put the one that sounds a little bit like Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah, that's not the one I'm thinking of. Daisy is quizzing Jenny at the Rovers about poets. When Alia comes in, Jenny sees Daisy off to take care of some hot pots. Alia says that she can't believe that Ryan threw away what he had with her. And Jenny reveals that she thinks Alia might not know the whole story. Yes. So Alia goes back to speed dial to explain to Yasmin <laughs> that, I love this. that according to Jenny, Daisy and Ryan never even kissed each other and it was just Daisy's plan to split her and Ryan up. Yeah. Yasmin 
muses that she misses Ryan's arms and then advises Alia to stop playing Daisy's game and start playing a game of her own. Oh, his arms? Mm-hmm. I thought she said he had a nice ass. No, she, she said arms. Oh, that nice just arms. Kinda, that kind of ruins it for me. I thought she said nice ass. No. <laughs> Which would have been so much funnier. It was you that thought that. <clears throat> eh. And gay Twitter. Gay Twitter seems to like his ass as well. Right, when he does that little, like, Cupid doll mm-hmm. pose by the stairs. Mm-hmm. Which just, to me, looks comic, not sexy, but... No. One man's cake. <laughs> At least we can all agree on Imran. Right. Alja goes into the rovers. It's like the, the, the Venn diagram of things that heterosexual cis women and homosexual cis men agree on. Alia goes into the rovers. Hiya, loser, she says. She apologises for interrupting whatever this is. <laughs> Daisy, Ryan and Daniel. And then tells Ryan... Right, because uh, Daniel and, and Daisy are, are reading a book together. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't be bothered they, they, they have their own little book club together. And she has an, uh, she and he have different editions of the book. Mm. Yeah. Alia tells Ryan that Sexy. he didn't cheat on her. He didn't kiss Daisy. I did, says a desperate Daisy, and Alia reveals her source, and unless Jenny's a liar, let's call that gospel, and Daisy's, like, obviously can't say in public that Jenny was a liar about this. Right. Uh, it takes Ryan a beat to add it all up. Alia leaves, advising Daniel to run for his life. Yes. Which I don't think he's going to do. You don't think so? No. Because... To Daniel, this all just makes Daisy seem really damaged. And if there's one thing Daniel likes... It looks a project. It's damaged ladies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Daisy goes through the back and tries to read the riot act to Jenny, who is not taking it and doesn't appreciate Daisy's assumption that she'll always lie for her. She doesn't want to dislike her, so stop doing dislikable things. And that really stings Daisy. And rather than just turn on the waterworks, which is what she usually does... She sticks her tail between her legs and slinks out. Yeah. And that's as far as we get with that. Speaks. So it seems like Jenny's words really did have an effect on yes. Daisy at the end there. Yes. I like when Alia is talking to Jenny and, and she calls Daisy. Did she say slut? Skank. Oh, skank. And Jenny says, oi, that's my step skank. <laughs> right. I loved that. That was hilarious. Mm-hmm. There were some really great one-liners on the show this week that I appreciated. Right. That was one of them. What was that? Was that Friday? Yeah. Yeah, it was Damon Rochford that wrote Friday's safe pair of hands. Yes. I I took an awful lot of joy out of um, this being Daisy's almost comeuppance week. Mm-hmm. To yeah, because you hate her. Yeah, I think we are meant to hate her. I don't hate her. I don't hate don't. her, but I do find it, hilari- find it hilarious the way she's getting her comeuppance this week, especially right. the whole, like, Byron thing. Why are you looking up Byron quotes on the internet? That was funny. Yeah, there's nothing worse than someone pretending to try and elevate themselves above, right. above who they find themselves with and their mm-hmm. surroundings and their background and all that. And then somebody, <laughs> somebody's always there to remind them of who they actually are and to do so loudly and publicly and then ryan quotes byron just on his own without having to look up quotes and ryan is thick as a brick Mm -hmm. so that just makes it even funnier right (laughs) 
Yeah. Any future for Alia and Ryan, do you think? It kind of feels like they're going to get back together. Doesn't it? And I honestly, honestly, of all of the couples who might get back together after after the man has been a bad, bad boy. This is one I wouldn't object to. I think because Ryan's, uh, his intentions were, they weren't pure, I guess, no. but, but they weren't corrupt. No, he was he railroaded. He was... He was made to drink a lot. She she tried. She used coercion. Daisy did on the Ryan. Ryan was upset because and Alia wanted to go house hunting and save for a place to live and all right. that sort of thing. And he's a child, right? So he wanted to, in inverted commas, punish her by staying out late. But even that, up, it didn't feel. It didn't feel to me like he was trying to punish her. He was just. Well, he was complaining he was about there. her all the way through. He like, was complaining about her, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to stay out late with Daisy just to get back at Alia. Right. It felt. It genuinely felt like he was just complaining to a mate about about his girlfriend. You know, while he thought he was just helping her come up with new cocktails for the for the rovers. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna. I'm going to find somebody to go out with tonight just to get on Elliot's nerves. That, that it never felt like right. something that Ryan would do. And it does feel like Ryan genuinely loves Alia yeah. and was there for Alia and Yasmin with all of the Tim's dad stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, with his he, arms. he genuinely looks like he's still in love with Alia and he, he genuinely never looked happy with, with Daisy. No. Never looked comfortable with Daisy. We never really saw them do anything. No, not really. It was less than a week. Really, yeah. was it? Was it a week? Not even. There or thereabouts. But Alia seems to have the right um, measure of the situation that he didn't cheat. He didn't try to cheat. No. He did, though, end up in her bed. And he, she seems to pin that on him as being something that is... It is worthy for her to be upset about. Yeah. Even if all the situation that kind of led up to that was kind of out right. of his control, more or less. Yeah, but the conversation with Yasmin made it seem like she would not be... Like, neither one of them would be adverse to taking Ryan back into the family. Right. You know, and... I don't know. She seemed she seemed to take some joy and comfort from what Jenny said. Yeah, you I know. Agree. Moving on then, our next storyline today is ghost writing. On Monday, at home, Kev still isn't happy with Abby about Seb's man garden. Oh. He thinks that she should let out her feelings in her victim impact statement. This so isn't Abby. Well, get back to wrecking memorials then, says Kev, and he goes to work. Yeah. Nice, Kev. I've spoken. Like everybody else. (laughs) You know, Nina and Sally. Nina, whose garden idea was, accepted Abby's apology and and in a way understood it and was actually apologetic to Abby about her feelings and stuff. Kev, on the other hand, is being a dick. He's had enough of this. This is going too long. Don't you be ruining any gardens. Shame on you, young lady. Now come over here so and, and get your spanking. Mm-hmm. Oh. Sort of thing. Interesting that you credit Nina with the idea for the garden. 
Well, it was kind of her idea. It's Billy's idea, wasn't it? Well, Billy mentioned the fact that some people do this sort of thing, but it was Nina who was like, oh, we should do this for... We should copy this idea. Yeah. Later. So Abby, Billy mentioned it, but Nina ran with it. Abby can't think of anything to write other than... I didn't than... see Billy helping in the garden at all. Not once. No. He was, no. He was, he was too busy. To, he was threatening to not serve soup to people. <laughs> right. Later, Abby can't think of anything to write other than kill ITV Corey and Kelly the Chin. <laughs> Kev advises her because he's full of fucking advice this week to focus on love, not hate. Write about what said meant. Right, yeah, because that's what a victim statement is. As Kev has all the answers, maybe he should write the fucking thing, says Abby. So Abby and Kev are in speed dial now. She's done some writing, but prefers to get stuck into Imran when he comes in. He tries to explain that they can't really discuss this, but finds it easier just to leave. Mm. And then Abby kind of hopes that Imran rots in hell. Yes. <laughs> wow. That took a turn. Next into speed dial is Brian. And Brian offers his support on impact statement and says that he's there to help her if she needs it. Yes. And it looks like she needs it. Yes. So on Wednesday... Because let's remember Brian's a teacher who once threw up on a whole bunch of people at school. In, in what can only be described as the worst moment of recent Coronation Street history, <laughs> Brian projectile vomited several times on the Look school governor. people governors. in the audience. Mm-hmm. Well, Phil the prick stood on the side had laughed, twirled his moustache. <laughs> yeah, and he has history here because he helped Abby get her GCSEs. Yes. So on Wednesday, Abby's at home with Brian. She's reading her statement, which focuses on Seb's killers and Seb's nature, when Brian thinks it should be more about her loss and how that loss has affected her. Abby finds this harder to put into words. So Brian offers to listen to her, and he'll jot down some notes. Mm-hmm. So it's basically just kind of, just go for Working it. Working together, just yeah. Just say what you feel let me put it together for you. Yes. And she's very appreciative of this. Absolutely. So later, Brian reads his notes back to Abby. And it's about how Abby can't live with losing Seb, who didn't just die. No. He was ripped from her. Yes. There was no point to it. She feels like she doesn't exist anymore, like she's a ghost that's just made from pain and grief. Aww. And that's all she has become. It's really and sad. Brian is kind of, Oh. Brian does a really, really good job here. Of yes. he's obviously emotionally um, affected by it, but he yes. he maintains his voice more or less as he's reading back Abby's words to her. Right, and but she's crying too. Right, oh. and she's crying and just silently listening to it's Brian read all back over. her thoughts. Oh. And that's as far as we got with that this week. So that was sad. a kind of incredible, incredible choice. Um, to do it this way. Yes. I was kind of confused because a victim impact statement tends to be after someone's found guilty. And then you read back to the person who's been found guilty for what their actions has has um, caused. And we haven't really got to that stage yet. So no, felt like we we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit. But to have Brian... Because we've had Abby already... In several scenes with Nina, especially, mm-hmm. and in a few scenes with Kev, tried to explain her feelings and um, and her emptiness and stuff to varying degrees of success. But to have Brian read it back to her, I thought was really, really powerful because it was it was it's almost like Abby's not the character who would have 
the, the eloquence isn't the right word. She can she can explain how she's feeling perfectly well, but in this she really finds it hard. Yeah. So to to have him reading back, this is how you feel to her. Right. I thought was really really powerful. Yes. And uh, kind of amazingly done. And and Brian's turned out to be the perfect character to do that. Yeah. To, to provide that kind of um, soundboard and echo for Abby's thoughts aloud. Yes. And then it took kind of the weight of Abby having to be the centre of that scene by not delivering it. And then she just becomes pure reaction. Yeah. It was really well done. Yeah. I really liked that scene. Absolutely. I think Brian's relationship with Abby really always seems to bring out the best in Abby. Yes. And you know what? It brings out the best in Brian too. It brings out the best in Brian too because he he becomes an actual teacher and not like this blowhard who's, you know, big on himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Daniel needs to find his Abby. <laughs> right. And not put on the cardigan. The only thing that concerned me a little bit is that as each week passes, we seem to be putting more and more pressure on Abby as she gets closer to the the trial. Right. We, we make her write something. We make her write down her thoughts this week. Right. Which is clearly kind of alien territory for her. And she's not comfortable. She's out of her comfort zone. Right. It's she's the, out of her element. It's the, the it's a climb as high up this ladder as you feel comfortable to do so and then take another step. Yes. And we seem to be doing that quite a lot with her. And it feels like she's going to explode at some point. And maybe that's maybe that's the intention is to is to make that harm. Yes. Moving on then, our next story is Sally's ticket to bribe. <laughs> oh my god. I love that they've given Sally a project. I really do. That's literally what's happened. It's it's it, she's the best when she's got a project. She's fucking consumed by it. I love it. I love it. I love her. On Monday, Sally's in Roy's Rolls complaining to Shona about a parking ticket that she got thanks to a fucking Inkerman Street turning Coronation Street into a de facto parking lot thing. Fergus is at a table mm-hmm. and he hurriedly leaves announcing that he prefers traffic enforcement officer to power crazed modern day highwayman. I love I love that they've given Fergus He's got a, a job. job. <laughs> He's got a job. So Sally bumps into Fergus later and apologises for her comments. Sure, he wasn't the utter prick who gave her a ticket. But it turns out he was the utter prick who gave her the ticket. Yeah. Pig's tits, says Sally, who for some reason gives a shit what this dingus thinks about anything. Brian is chatting to Sally about dinner parties and being too chinny for polo necks. Sally appreciates a manly chin. Meanwhile, Fergus is issuing tickets on Coronation Street. Sally tries to talk her way out of the ticket, but with no success. And Brian observes that she's lucky she doesn't live in East Germany. Mm -hmm. She was trying to bribe, bribe Fergus there, so it seemed... Yes, yeah, with a glass of wine. Sure, Sally, sure. On Wednesday, Sally... Also, it's rich coming from her, considering what happened when she was mayor. Right. I saw, uh, was it, was it Mersey Tart? I think it was Mersey Tart. He said that this storyline kind of makes you regretful that Sally's no longer mayor. Yes. Because Sally being mayor was a brilliant idea. Yes. And it, it didn't... She was like this all the time. And it wasn't allowed to to continue. Yes. When, yeah, Sally it being was the mayor best. was free. Oh, Sally was mayor. 
So on Wednesday, Sally's in the Rovers with a new campaign to make Coronation Street residents-only parking. She has a thorough questionnaire, and Aggie is there eavesdropping and gives her support and offers help. Sally makes a wish that she'd kept her mouth shut. She's got badges. Uh-huh. She, she's done the important stuff first, right? She's, she, and she's got these she's petitions. Got badges Very and she's got badges. Very long petitions. And seems to be thinking that the longer the petition, or the longer the questionnaire, the better it is. Right, because you get the most Because Ryan looks at it and thinks... This Why is it seven pages long? Right. It's thorough, says Sally. Yes. I love this, though. I love Aggie and Sally teaming up. I love right. giving the Baileys things to do with other people on the street. Outside the Bailey family. Right. Yeah, this is what we've yes, been, this is what we've been begging for ever since the Baileys were introduced. So maybe we're being listened to. No, not a chance. <laughs> on Friday, Sally and Aggie are planning their campaign like it's a war manoeuvre. Aggie wonders about speaking to the council first, but Sally reckons strength comes in numbers and they can destroy the council from out with or whatever. Right, But yeah. they're wandering around the breakfast uh, island thing. Right. Like they're... Studying a map. Right, and, and stalking like uh, like lions or, or pumas waiting to pounce on their prey. Right, they're in their war room. Right, a.k.a. Sally's kitchen. Yes. So Maria and Liam... That's Liam, mm-hmm. who I haven't seen in forever either. He's got a chesty cough. And they are both off to the summer club and managed to avoid speaking to Sally about the park and stuff. Good luck when you're fucked by a stranger's Volvo, says Sally. <laughs> and next- yeah, and there's this whole, like, <laughs> Liam wants to go play soccer with his friends. And she's like, no, no, you know, you can't because you've got this cough. And he's like... Well, I tested negative, and if you were that worried, why am I? Why are you still making me go to Holiday Club, which is inside, yeah. as opposed to a little bit of playing from soccer outside with my friends? Which Look, is I want rid of you. That's what Maria should have said. <laughs> Next, Sally is after Tracy's signature on the petition, but she finds Tracy in a very antagonistic mood. Most of her what? profits come from Tracy passing, antagonistic. Most of her profits come from no. passing trade, so Sally can beat it. And a passing Alia agrees. She relies on people being able to stop outside Speed Dart to pick up their takeaway. But you know what? It, it, people would be walking by the florist because Tracy's like, you know, I get all of these frazzled husbands who get off of the train and, and need it's to grab. Tram. Yeah. Because this is the 1950s, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where frazzled husbands need to buy flowers for their housewives. Yep. They're wearing bowler hats and they've got <laughs> umbrellas whether it's raining or not. Right. They're little suitcases, mm-hmm. and they walk like this. <laughs> but dear listener, <laughs> Helen is <laughs> leaning forward yes. In, into a breeze. <laughs> and you know, Alia could pay for like a takeout only spot right off right front of Speed Dolls. Well, this is it's part not... of the problem that they have to fork out for something that they've got at the moment for free. Yeah, but. Not really for free because all of the spaces on Coronation Street are being taken by the people for the next street over because that street over has gotten these reserved parking only for residents. The thing I love about this is that nobody on Coronation Street has a car unless they need it for that moment. Right, yeah. You never see cars parked. Until this happened, cars right. were never parked in Coronation Street. And, it, and now there's so many of them, it's frightening. Sally has amassed five signatures. Aggie, though, has had better luck with the young'uns who actually give a fuck about climate change. Right. Yay for climate change being mentioned on the show. Aggie's, That's 
progress. Aggie's efforts have revitalised Sally and she goes off now full of spunk. Ben, I like that. So, of course, Steve and Tracy go to Tim to complain about his missus telling him to get her under control. She can shove her <laughs> because petition it's the 1950s. up her arse. Right, right up, up her arse. Sally finds a friendly ear in Brian who speaks in double entendres for a minute or two. And, and also about climate change, because yep. Brian is up with the kids. Something getting put in the Yasmin's bush that I found a little <laughs> distressing. Then Tracy comes along for round two. What about passing trade, Brian asks Tracy, but Brian is there, Kesara, Sarah. Yeah, Tracy, most, of my, most of my trade is local. Then Tracy points out that Tim and Steve think her petition could kill streetcars, and they'll be fighting it. At home, Tim is angry with Sally, calling her a mad Bond villain. <laughs> and Sally says... Not what? a villain. So I never the... called you that. You literally called me a yes. Bond villain. It's like like a mad Bond villain. It's a it's, metaphor. It's a figure of speech. It's a simile. Sally says that he was supportive of her before and knows that this is Tracy saying all of this. This is a campaign against the rights and the idiots. And Tim points out that this attitude didn't work for Hillary Clinton. Don't you use Hillary Clinton against me, says uh, Sally. You know that she's my inspiration. Because apparently it's it's 2016 all over again. You're no Hillary Clinton, says Tim. And that is the end of that. Is this meant to imply that Tim is a Trump supporter? Now, what is going on here? We know that, that you can uh, not be a, a Hillary <laughs> fan and not be a Trump fan also. Yeah, but it was just... A really Go weird. <laughs> Wasn't it weird talking about Hillary Clinton when? No, I don't think it was. I didn't think it was at all. I loved Sally's reaction to it. I loved Sally being. You could tell Sally just wants to laugh. Sally's desperate to laugh as she's delivering uh-huh. this line, but she keeps it under control. But as she delivers this scene. How dare you mention, how dare you use Hillary Clinton against me? You know she's my inspiration. It was, I was just endless. I thought it was hilarious. She did a, just such a fantastic line. I guess. In one storyline this week, and I can't remember what it was, somebody said, somebody rolled their eyes at Americans, and I can't remember what it was. And I was, I was very taken aback. Do you remember what it was? I don't think I do. Oh. Anyway, I was taken aback, but then I immediately forgot it. Is Sally motivated by anything other than a desire to get rid of that parking ticket, do you think? No. Is she, or is she going to pay that? Well, she's going to have to pay it. But I think that I think if she hadn't gotten a parking ticket, I don't think this campaign would have happened. And if she didn't know the guy who gave her the parking ticket, and if he'd taken the bribe... Mm-hmm. Of a glass of wine. Interesting to have Fergus as the uh, traffic warden. I like it. I like that they're giving him more to do. Another uniformed law enforcer on the street. Him and Craig are going to clash. No, because Fergus has a very specific job. He's a... It's not going to make him likeable on the street, certainly. Nobody likes traffic wardens. Tax inspectors and traffic wardens. The Beatles wrote a song about one, but she was sexy, so it was okay. Are Tim and Sally really on the opposite sides of this argument? Or is this, I got the feeling this was just for fun more than anything. I don't think yeah, that this is this a is fallout not, or anything like yeah, that. Good, no. Because I don't this want another one of them. No. I don't want another one of them where Tim ends up going off almost having his hole with Gina. Yeah, that's not going to happen no, again. Good. 
Okay, we just have a couple of smaller storylines before we finish up with the main one. Moving on to Defense of Imran on Friday. Imran has fallen asleep on his desk as Toya comes in with breakfast. With a line of drool coming out of his mouth. He has so much to do and no money with which to do it. She suggests that he takes his mind off it for a bit and they arrange to have lunch at the bistro. I thought this was interesting, you know, the pointing out that when, when lawyers take on pro bono work, it really is a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's not... It's not cause it, it feels like lawyer, lawyers are one of those professions where people just assume that they're all really wealthy and so they can afford to do pro bono work all the time. But the bistro, Imran is on his high horse about small-minded people who don't think Kelly deserves proper representation. Leanne comes over and basically says that she can see Abby's point and Kelly should rot in hell. Toya insists that Kelly is innocent, but Leanne thinks the fostering has clouded their judgement. Then Imran points out that just because she lost all of it doesn't make her a world authority on anything. Or maybe we should just uh, let a jumped-up waitress decide all legal matters from now on. And, and he grabs his coat and storms me, out. Excuse me, Imran, she owns the place. <laughs> She's the owner, go fuck yourself. They do need some more wait staff in that place, though. Uh, yeah. This all kind of escalated very... Very quickly. Very quickly. And I, I don't know... <laughs> Leanne didn't have her... Uh, bistro part owner's hat on at this point whatever your diners want to discuss you let them discuss right, right? this has got nothing to do with you but yeah. she gets involved in it for really no reason well it's because it's it's her sister it's Toya yeah but clearly Imran is having a bit of a rant here just let him rant and I felt that she antagonised it a little bit she riled him up and his reaction was awful I mean Oliver didn't need to be mentioned there at all especially no. as, as he was one of the lawyers who were representing uh, Oliver's interests for right. a, a long period of time yeah. and then backed out so it feels like he's getting dangerously close to this whole Kelly thing far too close to yeah. far too close so uh, Toya goes to see Imran at the law office to see if he's okay but he's too busy on a phone call but does let her know that he's a bit pissed off that she wasn't more supportive of him. She was trying to defuse the situation a right, couple of times. Right, she was dead in the centre. And nobody was listening to her. No. So she just shut up and just let it play out. Yeah. Which, what else is she meant to do? But she's a... Lovely you, work by that extra, though, in the background. Did you see the little tweet that I made of it? Yeah. <laughs> she's casting so much shade onto that. I it's know. hilarious. It's great. Want, I want more from her. Fish guy and shade girl need to get together and fight crime. And Helena, Helena, the barefoot undertaker. Oh, she can be the she can be the leader. Right. right, that's what we need. I want the three of them running around fighting crime. Yeah, that was that was that was great work by by that extra. Imran gets home humbled and sorry. Toya understands how exhausted he is and has already spoken with Leanne. Now, how about some hummus, posh crisps, and some shite TV? She suggests he'd love to, but he has to work on the case. Imran getting way too involved in this. Way too involved. And even the most reprehensible criminals deserve proper representation. Yes. That's that's what everything is built on, right? Is, yes. Is your, you have your day in court, you have your chance to argue your, your case, and you have your chance to, um, to cast doubt over the prosecution and... If the prosecution's case isn't strong enough, then you get off. And that's how it works. 
and that's supposed to be how it works. Right. But people don't seem to like the fact that Kelly is gets a defence lawyer and they don't like the fact that it's Imran. Right, yeah. It's yeah. This is this is uh, yeah, this is the thing that makes it difficult. It's like we're talking about a murder case from somebody on the street and the murderer or the accused is someone on the street and the lawyer is someone on the street. He should never be allowed to represent her. No, no. His foster child? No, this shouldn't be this way. No. Even Adam would have been better. Right. Adam is at least a little bit more removed. But they've made, because Paula's not there anymore, they've made Imran not only a lawyer but also a barrister. Because normally it would be Paula that would be the barrister. Oh, you said Paula. Mm-hmm. I got really confused. Paul? You don't want Paul anywhere near no. this. <laughs> he would just make that face. Yeah, Paul is still on Doctors, I think. Isn't He's the... sweeping up at the No, barbers. Paula. Oh, Paula, yeah. I thought you said Paul. No. See, it works both ways. <laughs> yeah, but we'll see. That, again, this is all really part of the whole um, Abbey stuff, I guess. Our penultimate storyline is Bailey's Full House. On Friday at the Bailey's, tensions are running high. James is waiting for the result of his appeal and Grace is lacking sleep because of glory. There's too many folk in here, says James, who suddenly realises or is able to count how many people are living under this roof. Mm-hmm. Grace is keen for a place of her own with Michael now that they're back together. Aye, whatever, says Michael as he hardly <laughs> leaves. <laughs> Ronnie and Michael are at the bistro and Ronnie has a great grasp of the situation at number three and thinks it's time for Michael to start making some grown-up decisions. Michael is a confused mess, though, but if it wasn't for Glory, he and Grace wouldn't be anywhere near each other. There's nothing new under the sun, says Ronnie, and do things for Glory first and foremost, and this gives Michael something to think about, and that's all that happened there. Yeah. Michael doesn't have much in the way of options. No. It's it's a nothing burger. It, it, it's just... It's just circling, isn't it? Yeah, it's a kind of holding pattern for something to happen at some point. Right. Where, presumably... Grace is going to kill somebody or do something to to or, ruin their relationship with or Michael. Or Grace again. and Glory are going to move away, and Michael will be hurt. Yeah, because that's what's going to happen. Because he can't. He either pretends that there's a relationship there. Yeah. Or he doesn't. Right. And if he doesn't, what you've just described has to happen. Yeah. Because she can't. The only reason that she's there. Well, the only reason that she's there was because it made sense. Right. And they thought that they could do this parenting thing together, living right. under the same roof without being together. But that's not that's not how it's turned out. Yes. Our final storyline today is we need to talk about hope. Yes, we do. On Monday, Fizz is in detention cell one. Yet another new set. Yes. And we can just see a little sliver of her. It looks like somebody's take is filming her on their iPhone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tyrone is moping at home, trying to work out what also to do. Also being filmed on an iPhone. Right. Evelyn thinks that their options are clear. Fizz can't save hope from hope. She needs therapy, proper therapy, with electricity and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and she needs her mother. She needs her mother for that. Under questioning from DS Fringe, Fizz is concocting lies to why she torched the flat. And she's mostly using hope's excuses, which don't sound good coming from a grown woman's mouth. Right, yeah. And it seems like Fred Armisen in a dress... Knows 
you know, can can smell something being off on this yeah, with her she's, questions. She's a very um, experienced law officer. She, she is so much better in this storyline than oh, she was with the Tim's dad stuff. A million times better. I like her so much more now. Me too. She's she's clever in this one. She was just nasty in the one before. Yeah, she's clever and she's empathetic, and she seems like and she really knows her stuff. Absolutely. And she can sniff a lie. She's right. She's good at reading people's body language. Oh, I'm so glad they're writing her better now. Mm-hmm. Fizz is shocked when DS Fringe doesn't charge her immediately. Yeah, because she that, can smell a rat. Exactly. So Tyrone phones Fizz in jail and tells her that he's uncomfortable telling the kids that she's off seeing Scylla again. Fizz doesn't care. And <laughs> Which him. Hope should Hope should see as a lie right. to begin with because she knows that that's not what they did. Mm-hmm. Fizz doesn't care and urges him to convince Alina to keep her mouth shut. So Ty meets Alina at Maxine's bench, and before he can explain the latest developments, she sees Evelyn leading Ruby and Hope off for ice cream. Right. She's like, oh, no, it's okay, because the police came and they told me that someone has been arrested, and she's assuming it's home. Also, yet another scene where two people are talking to one another, and one of them is in a prison with a sign very clearly in the back saying, everything you do is being recorded. Yeah, she basically confesses on the phone whilst in the prison. Right. Or in the police station. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Tyrone explains to Alina that Fizz has already confessed. Alina isn't impressed. Hope could have killed her and they lost his son. She senses that he's looking for a favour, guessing that he wants her to keep quiet about it. She tells him to fuck off, pointing out that Hope is damaged and letting her get away with this is a really dumb idea. I don't, I don't like that they're continuing this implication that the fire caused... The miscarriage. I think it's fair for Alina to think that. She was having problems before this. Yeah, we, we, we spoke about this. It, it's, it's probably, it, it might have something to do with it. It's not everything to do with it. All things considered, she was probably going to lose the baby anyway. Right. This kind of expedited it. Because if plot. Right, this expedited it, if anything. Yes. But I think she's well within the rights to, to blame Hope for it. Albeit misguidedly. Yes. We see Alina sitting alone in her flat, looking out the window like she's wondering whether the rain's going to come on and whether she has to bring her washing in or not. Back at the detention cell, one fizz is growing frustrated that she's not getting charged. A duty officer explains new evidence has come to light, and we see Tyrone in an interview room telling Diaz Fringe that Hope was the one who had done it. He explains the background, the new baby, the jealousy and the accelerant, but she didn't try to kill anyone. Diaz Fringe scratches her chin, but seems to go for this. And she goes back to speak with Fizz. Until yeah, but then again, she's very smart about this. And she's like, well, how would a 10-year-old know anything about accelerants? Right. Well, you've never met Hope. Right. <laughs> they tell Fizz that they believe Hope done it. Fizz tries to laugh it off and says that Hope has an active imagination. DS Fringe bangs the table, demands the truth. And back home, Fizz yells, you can't handle the truth. We live in a world that has walls, and those walls are guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? We live in a world... No, I've done that, but I used to know that speech <laughs> off my heart. We use words like honour. No. Hope and Ruby are dressed as pirates at home, as Evelyn takes a call from Tyrone explaining the events of the day, and she thinks that he's done the right thing. Yes, because they've been at holiday camp as well with mm-hmm. Liam, and tomorrow there's going to be a treasure hunt, and... And with chocolate buttons. Right, yes. And Hope's going to dress up like Blackbeard. Mm-hmm. 
So Fizz gets off with a, a coffee on and a request to see Hope on the morrow. She then sees Tyrone outside assuming Alina, the toxic girlfriend, has grasped Hope up and Tyrone admits that he did it. In double denim, Fizz pretends that lying to the police is the best thing to do and that Hope's life has been thrown away. The ultimate betrayal, she says. Did you say double denim? Yeah. And she doesn't want him near her or the girls. She's wearing again. a Canadian tuxedo. She's we- <laughs> Yes. She's in jeans and a denim jacket that match. Yes. She Canadian de- tuxedo. She needs to have a word with herself. We- no offence. Can- Canadian people listen to this. <laughs> no offence. We're not Canadian sure why. Helen and, and, and Christy and the librarian and, and others. Everybody knows it's called a Canadian tuxedo though. You wonder why we never get coffees from these people. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> And we appreciate it. Tyrone goes back to the flat and explains how he did the right thing. Hope needs help. All he wants for her is to have a normal life. Maybe she won't get that, says Alina, seeing how she's a psycho in that. Ty continues to defend Hope and Alina just gets up and just walks away from it. So Ty goes back to the house. They need to talk about this. Evelyn insists that they need to be a united front and it's time for once to think of what's best for Hope. Fizz and Ty explain that the cops will be wanting a word with her tomorrow. This is them explaining to Hope the situation. And she's really mm-hmm. pissed off because she wants to go to the treasure hunt at the summer club. Yes, she wants to dress up like Blackbeard. No can do, says Hope. I've got this appointment with the right, summer club. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Fizz, can, we, can we pencil this in for next week? Fizz says this is more important. Let me get my diary. Oh, for fuck's sake, it was an accident, says Hope. <laughs> yeah, but Alina still ended up in hospital, says Ty. She's fine, says Hope. <laughs> she does. She really says she's fine. Fine, it's okay. And they won't be needing a cot now anyway. Fizz and Tyrone are gobsmacked. Sorry, not sorry, says Hope, and she runs up the stairs. And she clicks her fingers three times. Boom, boom, boom. On and Wednesday. She does a sassy nod. Alina has let Ty sleep on her couch and she's willing to make him coffee, but he knows that she'll have spat in it, so he declines and goes off to support Hope. Right. It turns out that Evelyn is the one who has to be in the interview with Hope because Fizz and Tyrone are so fucking appalling as parents. <laughs> Hope doesn't want to go. Ty tells her to tell the truth. Fizz tells her to say that she never meant to hurt anyone. And those two things I don't think are equal. Yes. At the police station, Dias Fringe tells Hope not to be worried. Hope looks about a million miles away from being worried. Right. As she waves goodbye to mummy and daddy. See ya. Bye. During the interview, Hope shows that she knows the difference between truth and lie, good and evil, Jason Faris and Michael Myers. <laughs> Dias Fringe is impressed. Her two heroes. Hope isn't sure if the fire was bad or not because Alina doesn't need a cot. Right. Evelyn sits there and swallows her chin a little yeah. bit. Meanwhile, Ty and Fizz are pacing around outside. Fizz is blaming the system for allowing Hope to be criminally responsible. Ty thinks everything will be fine. And this, in a nutshell, is why they're the worst parents. <laughs> At the factory, Alina is eating her lunch on her own round the corner from Beth and Sean, who are gossiping about the whole Ty-Fizz-Hope stuff. I love that Beth is, is back. Right, and how the whole fire thing was just an accident. So sorry for Alina. She's essentially eating her lunch in a toilet cubicle. (laughs) Back in the interview room, Hope is explaining her use of accelerant in the fire. Hope fucking loves fire, she says. DS Fringe can appreciate that. Yes, fire is cool. That Hope understands how people... (laughs) Fire, fire, fire. Fire good. (laughs) I am con Julio. (laughs) DS Fringe. And I need TP for my, my bank hole. Are you threatening me? <laughs> DS Fringe needs to know that Hope understands how people could have been hurt and Hope recites what Fizz told her oh. earlier. Hope is Beavis. <laughs> Outside, another officer Does is... that make Ruby butthead? <laughs> no. Well. 
outside another officer Tyrod's is, is explaining head, that they're deciding what to do to charge her with if it's with intent to harm or not but she could be looking at 10 years Viz and Tyrone grab each other's hands and later Beth and Sean apologise to Alina and Alina reveals how torn she is through all this she wants justice but she knows that Hope going to jail will be tough on Tyrone then Hope has been released pending charge so Ty rewards her by raising her to the cabin for sweets Fizz thinks this is proof that Hope isn't a delinquent and Evelyn is forced to remind them both that Hope did start a fire here and she is going to be charged. Yes. Later we learn that Hope has been charged with a lesser offence. Fizz was hoping she'd be let off. Ty promises to get through this. Hope is tough. Everything is such a mess, says Fizz. Chippy tea, suggests Ty. (laughs) So Tim and Sally are in the Rovers chatting about how Ty and Fizz need to reunite as a family. Alina, the invisible girl again, overhears this and angrily orders booze from Jenny and goes and sits in a corner on her own. Fizz and Ty have got their chippy tea and are getting on like old times when they see Alina staggering out the rovers. Well, isn't this fucking romantic, she says, and she wobbles home. Fizz suggests that Ty sees her home okay. Are you sure? asks Ty for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's like, are you sure you want me to go help this? you know, troubled, drunken girl who I was, who I left you for. Right. He's found himself in a strangely no man's land here of... He really has. Of, has he split up with Alina? And yeah, this really confused me because they very definitely split up last week. And yet this week, it doesn't seem official. Well, they, they address this slightly coming on, but at this point he doesn't... It's really doesn't confusing really for going. us and for Ty. Right. Back home, Fizz is telling Evelyn about Alina and how she actually felt sorry for her. Evelyn thinks Ty should be focusing on Hope, but is curious whether Fizz and he are getting back. She denies it, but thinks co-parenting might work. In comes Hope, finally worried that she might be getting sent to the big house. Where's Daddy, she says. Co-parenting under the same roof, Mm -hmm. though. Daddy Uh is pished with Alina. The drink has helped Alina see things straight. Go home to Fees and eat your cheeps, she says. Ty wants to look after her. That'll be a first, says Alina, and he promises that he hasn't forgotten about her. She thought he was her happy ever after. Mm -hmm. He still loves her, and she doesn't know if they are over or not. So Ty needs to stick by Hope, but he admits that he's done everything wrong and is sorry. He thought they were forever too, thought they'd get married, have kids, get a greyhound. And who knows what Alina hears here, but she thinks that he's he's proposing to her, and so she accepts. Which brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. Is this really a hard debate? How far... Is this Alina's proposal misunderstanding going to be allowed to get? The options were Friday, to the engagement party, to the Christmas wedding, to meh, we have fish guy now. Meh, we have fish guy now. Here's the votes. On Friday, we got 14.6%. The engagement party got 14.6%. The Christmas wedding got 24.4%. But coming home in first place with a stonking 46.3% was, meh, we have the fish guy now. Which suggests to me that people don't care. No, no, people do not care. You know, because, like I said, I think most of us were like, okay, this relationship is over. That's good. It shouldn't have happened in the first place. It's done. It was never sustainable. Why are we getting dragged back into it? This makes no sense. Right. On Friday, Fizz is up to high do about all the, all the housework she needs to do, only to find that Evelyn has already done it. 
even notices that Tyrone didn't sleep on her couch last night. There was a, yeah. also a little bit of a hat tip here to Fraser. Did you spot it? No. You're more of a Fraser file than I am. Fizz and Evelyn are chatting and uh-huh. Fizz is becoming increasingly wound up that Evelyn has an answer to everything that she's saying. Right. And so Fizz says, do you ever have an unexpressed thought? Mm-hmm. And Evelyn says, I'm having one right now. <laughs> Back 30 years to the first ever episode of Frasier, uh-huh. Niles is, uh, says to Frasier, well, you know my thoughts about such and such. Mm-hmm. And Frasier says, I know your thoughts about everything. In fact, when was the last time you had an unexpressed thought? Uh-huh. And Niles says, I'm having one now. <laughs> I'm not suggesting for a moment that this is plagiarism or anything like that. Because it's a joke. Well, it right? would be an homage. It's a homage. But anything, is it an homage? <laughs> Maybe they thought that they thought it up themselves. Well, Because uh, they are, were children back are, when Frasier was on. There are people on Twitter who think this is a, a Corey line. And calling it the best line ever. It's a really good line, but the thing is... It is is, a really good line. I think for a writer to be handed the feed line of when have you ever had an unexpressed thought, I think it begs that response. I'm having one right now. So, yeah. It's either a homage or it was written as an original, but anyway, it was a nice little hat tip and I appreciated it. At the flat, Alina cheerily thinks that Tyrone sleeping on the sofa is no way to start their engagement. (laughs) He mm-hmm. hurries off to support Hope. Alina keen to start the rest of their lives together. I whatever, says Ty. With Ruby thrown at Chesney's, everyone is off to the youth court. Even warns Ty that uh, there won't be a bar there, so he can't be drinking. The news from the solicitor is that Hope that has a good chance to get, right, to get away with avoiding the jail. And there was Ty, who has promised to tell the truth, admits that he and Alina are now engaged. And everyone's like, oh, for fuck's sake. sake. Round at Gemma's, Bernie and Gemma are discussing Hope, thinking that she's out of control and remembering that time that she broke Joseph's spine or something a few months back. Bernie reckons that she needs to come with a fire extinguisher these days. <laughs> at the court thing, Evelyn doesn't understand how someone can get accidentally engaged. Fizz admits that she expected him home last night and Hope is still maintaining that <laughs> she didn't do anything wrong. S- Evelyn hasn't been on the street for very long, right. has she? This is all going very well. Emma and Alina are in the flat. Alina wants to celebrate that, although Hope tried to set her on fire. Love conquers all, and she breaks out the champers. Good luck with being her stepmom, says Emma. Later, the judge of whatever decrees that Hope trying to kill Alina wasn't so bad after all, and so she can stay at home, but some therapy and rehab has been ordered. Family pulling together is very important. Can I go home now? asks Hope. Yes. And back home, Ty is trying to explain what will happen next with a family mediator person who teaches them to be better people. Hope just wants <laughs> Good her- luck! Hope just wants a, t- a tablet back. Chez calls to find out what happened. Fizz offers to come to pick Hope up, but it seems that uh, Chez would prefer to drop Ruby off himself. Meanwhile, Ty is upset that Hope isn't upset. He goes to leave, and Fizz has a dig about him being engaged. Alina is all dolled up for Tyrone when he gets home. She wants to celebrate with some takeaway and sends him out for some more Prosecco. He wants to talk about Hope, but she's more interested in talking about the pasta. Right. <laughs> Read the room, Alina! Right. So Chez drops off Ruby and has a nice wee bitch with Fizz about Tyrone getting engaged and then drops a bombshell that until Hope gets her not a fire hazard certificate, she ain't welcome round at their house. Ty goes to get Fizz at the shop. 
bottle of champagne, Evelyn telling him that guilt is no reason to get married. In comes Chess, who can't believe that Ty and Elaine are now engaged. So don't dance at the wedding then, Bobag, says Evelyn. Then Chess tells <laughs> Ty and Evelyn what he told Fizz about hope. Because some of us care about our families, says Chesney, who once assaulted himself in the face with a brick. <laughs> so Ty goes back to Fizzy's with the Fizz who thought hope had turned a corner. She's been so vigilant. You're a brilliant mum, says Ty, which is again really? is a problem. I can't defend her against you though, she says, and she gives Ty some home truths about how him running off to start a family kind of caused all of this. Yeah. Tyrone cries and agrees. This is all his fault. Well, Hope was already an arsonist before he left. I don't think it's all his fault. No. It's partly his fault. It's partly Fizzy's fault. But none of them seem to give this any more than a cursory... Well, um, Fizz does say that, you know, she handled him leaving badly. But the way he left was pretty horrible, too. Hmm. They're both awful people. They're terrible parents. There's, there's enough awfulness between the two of them to go around. So they crack open Alina's wine... They admit to still caring for each other and then they end up winching on the couch. Yes, they do. They're disturbed by Evelyn coming in. What are you two up to? They're, she's talking about the kids, says Fizz. <laughs> right. You're back, she says, and a flustered Tyrone rushes out. So Ty gets back to the flat and Alina... Evelyn knows, though. Do you think? Yes. Alina is angry Evelyn that... Evelyn f- knows all. Alina she's is angry- God. Alina is angry that the food is cold and he's not brought the wine. But she cools down quickly and goes off to get the wine herself, excited about the future that she's going to have with Tyrone as a family, leaving Tyrone to eat his chin. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Now, I was really interested about, you know, because they make such a big deal about this whole age of criminal responsibility and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was really curious about it because 10 does seem kind of, kind of young, doesn't it? Well... What this really addressed, this is how it was explained to me by, I think my granddad, was that if you had an argument with somebody Mm -hmm. and you had a kid who was like seven Mm -hmm. or 11 or 12 or whatever, Mm -hmm. you could say, go through a brick through that bastard's window. Uh And if you were below the age of criminal responsibility, then the kid couldn't get done for it. Right. So it's basically like a free hit. Right. So tens at that age that... um, kind of prevents that happening a little bit. Right. This is according to my granddad, who I'm sure knew fuck all about anything. Well, 10 is the age of criminal responsibility in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. It's 12 in Scotland. Right. So there's there's a difference. And apparently this is only really important for like serious things like murder and stuff. And even even if you are of the age of criminal responsibility, it doesn't go on your permanent record. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Children under 12 can't be convicted or get a criminal record from 12 to 15. So it's not until you're 15. Now, in America, it varies from state to state. So it's even more confusing than the whole. Right. Everybody is 10 except for Scotland, which is 12. There are 33 states that don't set a minimum age of criminal responsibility. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Um, for federal crimes, it's 11. So that's a little bit higher than 10. Massachusetts, it's 12, which is like Scotland. North Carolina, it's six. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. In North Carolina, the criminal age of responsibility is a six-year-old child. I'm trying to think. Hardline. I'm trying to think of a six-year-old child doing something naughty, like murdering someone. That the, if, the, if the child was below... I think this is where my granddad's point might have been blown out of the water. Mm-hmm. 
if the child was below the age of responsibility, then it became the parent's responsibility. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the person who said, "Go throw that brick." Yeah. But I think it's 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 still even like under the age of eighteen, you're not going to be done in. But I mean, this is why drug dealers like Harvey go after younger younger right. kids or younger teens because they aren't if if they if they get caught they're not going to be thrown in jail for you yeah. know and they just keep their mouth shut then i yeah. think that this is a plot point on line of duty i think yeah so it's really it's really interesting and it's one of those things congratulations coronation street it's one of those things that makes me pause the show and look things up and educate myself which is what you want from your soap operas. Sure. <laughs> the but, judge's I mean, reaction to or to the situation and letting Hope go strikes me as not being in anyone's interest. Yeah. Other than us from from a viewer point of view, because we get to see Isabella Flanagan a little bit more. But Right. Yeah, it seems like... She's been told that... It seems like the judge don't know her too well. No. You know, they, they don't bring up... Because they don't think anybody... Besides, the family knows about the factory fire. Or because of some. Right. So She's a very angry, and, and has been said a number of times, a very damaged little girl. Yes. She's getting let off as far as she cares to understand. Right. And the punishment that she's getting is a punishment for everyone apart from Nana. Right. Because the whole family's going to go through this. Right. Not just her. So right. she's like, well... I'm not getting punished for this. Yeah. As far as she's concerned, she's got she's getting away scot free. It'll be interesting to see what happens later on as far as what these meetings are actually like and, and what needs to happen and and what's done and stuff. I, I can't imagine we're going to see an awful lot of that. Well, I, I imagine we'll we'll see some of it and I think there'll be some strong reactions that way and i think some hard truths are going to come down not just on hope but on fizz and tyrone well it has to come down on them yeah. because they are they're responsible for an awful lot of it do you think they're going to get back together fizz and tyrone yeah probably that's see this is this is one that i'm not quite as happy about as as alia and ryan it's still not in the paul and billy territory where i would riot if they got back together right but it's not something that I think. If these were real people, I would be concerned if they got back together because they're not doing themselves or each other any favors. You know, they don't no. make one another better people. You know? No, they really don't. <laughs> I'm just really sad that Beardy McBeardy is, is gone. I liked him, he was funny and smart. Who? And he made Fizz laugh. What's his name? Oh, Phil. Phil. Beardy McBeardyson. I thought that was, a, that was a policeman, wasn't it? No, that was McTreamy. Oh, Beardy McTreamy. <laughs> I saw on uh, on Twitter, perhaps the best relationship portmanteau out of all of this was uh-huh. Emmalina. Yeah. Yeah. I can get I behind remember, that. I remember back in the day when, when Emma when Alina moved back in and stuff that, you know, those, those kind of um, spoilers that aren't really spoilers that end in a question mark. Mm -hmm. 
I remember there being some speculation there, but I mean, there's speculation anytime two women are, are living together. There was speculation about Yasmin and Tim's mom, which I really wish had happened. Right. Looked like it was going there for a while. Let Yasmin be a lesbian. Mm-hmm. We need more lesbians on the street. Yeah, I, I would go I for I make this argument every week. Emelina, because it kind of sounds like Semelina. Yeah. Emelina does sound, it sounds right. You would name a child Emelina. I wouldn't. Well, no. <laughs> if you heard of a child named Emelina, it wouldn't be the worst child's name you've ever heard. That'd be up there. It's not Apple. I quite like Apple as a name. Of course you do. Which is amazing because I there don't like go. those people. The president of Gwyneth Paltrow's fan club right here, sitting across from me. You've got one of those emerald eggs in your ass right now, don't you? That's why I can't find a bit of comfort in this chair. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I just feel so sorry for Alina in this. The storyline as it's gone just seems to be beat that poor woman down at, at every opportunity. You know, she'd get her hopes up. Get her fucking tattooed. Yeah. Tyrone's tattoo got a brief uh, airing yes. this week, which I saw. Which and you funny. think, you know, giving, giving characters tattoos like this is just asking for trouble because no one's going to care if it's there. Right. But the second that they forget to put it in, everyone's going to notice. Yes. <laughs> just, they just can't at least, win. At least, at least Alina's is a tramp stamp on her back. Right, she can hide that, yep. Yes. From her point of view, this storyline has been just beat, beat her up from everywhere. She's getting beat up at the factory. She's getting beat up in the, the rovers. She's left on her own eating her lunch. She's left alone in the flat looking down on the street. No one really cares that she nearly got killed. No. Nobody cares that she was in the hospital. No. Her boyfriend at the time, he couldn't give a shit about any of that. He's focusing on the person who did it to her. It's as much as she doesn't, she shouldn't be on the show. She came back for... Weird, really reasons. weird reasons that don't really add up because they needed young, more young women on the show i but guess she deserves so much better than this yeah there's I've, I've seen some speculation that she'll be exiting and i don't think that's a bad thing right because i mean once seb died or once she split up with seb you know what was the point she's yeah. are, are we to believe that she's in sales at the factory i don't believe that <sighs> anyway, that was the week that was Coronation Street. What yes, was your was. moment of the week? Brian and Abby. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. As much as I'm a little reluctant <laughs> to, give to give it to this story again. again about the same thing again. But we don't give it to Brian very often. We don't. So that's, yes, we're giving it to Brian reading Abby's words. Yeah, that was really outstanding. Ash, oofed. Very, oofed. very well done. That is our moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. I want to give it to Daniel talking about Byron, but that scene mm-hmm. was so good. Yeah, I kind of wanted to give it to Daniel as well. <sighs> but that scene was funny. Yeah. And those are the rules. Yeah. It wasn't boring because it was funny. It can't be boring if it was funny. No. That's right. uh, Daniel giving her that, that book. What is it? The Milkman something or something <laughs> or another. There's clouds on the cover. Ernie the Fastest Milkman in the West <laughs> by uh, <laughs> by Tennyson. Hmm. I can't really think of anything else. 
Oh, and, Todd, was it, um, and Billy wasn't on it, so we got to give it to Daniel. Those are the rules. Was it? Uh, was it Grace wanting a shower, but she couldn't get a shower because James wanted the bath? Because James was already running a bath. How passive aggressive can you get? Yeah, that kind of was a bit of a nothing burger. That whole James realizing that everybody's living on top of one another in this house. Now he realizes this. Right. Yeah. Now he sees it. Now yeah. he makes a move. Grace wanting a shower is our boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Oh, shall we wrap this one up then? Yes, please. Get on with our lives. Yes, find what, out why we have all these low-flying airplanes what movie coming to bomb to our today? house. We're going to go see that Ryan Reynolds movie, aren't we? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't we do love show. Ryan Reynolds. Did you see? Did you see his uh, tweet about the whole Jeopardy thing? No. Where he had a tweet that said, "Between 2013 and 2015, here on Twitter, lots and lots and lots of people kept begging me to play Deadpool, but the studios didn't see it." You know, until finally they relented and they did. Anyway, how you doing? At LeVar Burton. <laughs> we love Ryan Reynolds so much. If you've ever been the host of Jeopardy, <laughs> good for you. Writing to tell us all about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me in hell on a coffee kind of by Hiya. heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more I'll Talk on the Street. Talk on the street. Cheerio.